Welcome to the Redemptions Hill Sermon Podcast. For more information, feel free to visit our website, redemptionshill.com. All right, good morning. There we go. I got a better good morning. (laughs) It's all right. Well, it's good to be here with you. Um, We've had a week. COVID cases have flown up. It seems like every time we hit a new record of positive cases in a day, and we think, surely, surely it's not going to go any higher. COVID says, hold my non-alcoholic beer, and says, watch this, and sets a new record. Um, We've had public schools uh, officially announce 100% Uh, virtual learning for here in Columbia to the morning of some of the parents. Uh, We have a lot of our church family in quarantine right now. Uh, I believe there was eight or nine MIMC alone this week. Um, That's a lot. And then as we kind of zoom out nationally, um, we've witnessed more riots. People aren't just agitated, though. They're armed. This, um, this reality has caused one political side to hold to a stance of law and order, claiming the country needs to plant their feet and not give it an inch. And another one um, calls for radical reform immediately. In the wake of all the things we've kind of mentioned here, I think what we can kind of see is, is a large heaviness and a multitude of people who are weighing in on all of those things, right? News interviews to internet articles from Facebook posts to even Instagram stories are used for outrage. Uh, YouTube hot takes to political, political takes. Right now we see a whole lot of people uh, holding nothing back about how they feel about all the stuff that we have going on. And then we see even more than that. We see a whole lot of people holding nothing back about those who believe the opposite than they do about what's going on right now. So we see a lot of outrage, we see a lot of fury, we see a lot of tension as our world is given to the notion, hear this line, this is important for what we're doing today. We're given to the notion that outrage is currency for power. And it feels like we're spending that currency at a breathtaking rate trying to get what we think we deserve, trying to create the world that we want to see by asserting our opinions and demanding that people fall in line with what, what we think should be happening. And upon that cultural backdrop, we find ourselves at beatitude number three. It's going to show a stark contrast between what's happening in the world, what, what we may even be doing ourselves, and what Jesus says Christians are called to be a part of it really couldn't be a better beatitude to hit this morning. So we're going to jump right into it. Uh, Matthew 5, uh, 1 through 4 is where we're looking. We're just adding one beatitude every week, and this is Jesus. He says, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And today, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I always like to make sure we keep our bearings in a progressive section of Scripture like this, so we'll make sure we understand exactly where we are before going too much further. But Jesus in this text is giving the 
the opening to his very first sermon at the beginning of his earthly ministry. So like this is the beginning of everything. Beginning of his ministry, very first sermon, first large public kind of speaking. It's an important detail here. What Jesus is doing with this is he's laying down the groundwork for his kingdom and what it's going to be like in the world, what his reign and his rule is supposed to be like and how that's supposed to be something different. Now, Jesus was not a politician. I get that. But when a politician or an influencer or someone is trying to kind of come onto the scene, when they emerge, they immediately start answering one question. The question is this, what makes your ways different? What's different about you? How are you better? Why are you special? Why are you worth listening? What what makes you different than all of the other people who came before you? And though Jesus isn't coming in with this first sermon, just begging for our approval or desperate for us to just like or accept him, he does jump in by showing us how he was not like anyone before him. He does this by speaking into what is called the the makarios, the the word translated as blessing. What he's doing here is speaking into where happiness and flourishing come in life, which is one of those big, broad questions that we ask. What's this life about and how do we find happiness? He's speaking into all of that. Jesus starts laying out a distinctively different message than the world around him, though about how true happiness and and meaningful, lasting flourishing is not actually found in all the common places that culture are looking for them in. Jesus was basically laying out a new way of life, the way of his kingdom, one that was counter-cultural to anybody who would have been listening at that time. If if we haven't already from the first two messages understood it, we, we must realize this, this life that is laid out in the Beatitudes is not a natural one that we can just decide to live. I mean, you can't hear, hear these words and be like, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that today. You can't do it alone. It also means no one's actually born that way. No one's natural disposition is to be poor in spirit or to be meek. The only way that these things are created or lived out is is really by walking with uh, the Holy Spirit, by having the Holy Spirit do those things in you. A big observation from this is that Jesus is calling people out of the world, out of living like everyone else around them and inviting us into something new through grace and trusting him. The the Beatitudes are a continual call to follow Christ even when it's difficult and even when the entire world seems like they're going that way, it's the call to follow Jesus instead. We saw in the third Beatitude in verse five in the middle of the world that often thinks in these terms of strength and and power, in terms of ability and self-assurance and and aggressiveness, a world that thinks that that conquest and possession come to those who, who assert themselves, who express themselves, who take what is theirs, who wield their power strongly to get what they want. In a world that, that preaches a gospel of, of really uh, getting others when they wrong you, Uh, A world that teaches us at a really young age that you need to get loud to get stuff done. In a world that, that, uh, that this kind of cycle of power is being used, Jesus makes this astounding statement. No, 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 that's not what we're doing here. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. He's cutting specifically against the grain of how the world works. This idea... It seems ridiculous to many of the people who are hearing. Jesus is making a case that flourishing comes by not buying into and playing along with the power structure around us. 
Even though it seems like a lot of people who are not meek are getting everything they ever wanted in life, Jesus says, no, 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 no. Follow me. Follow this path. You'll find happiness and flourishing and, and an ultimate and eternal flourishing that others won't have. We need to work to form a clear understanding of what Jesus meant by meek, though, because the word meek in our world, it's often translated or, or viewed as, as synonymous with weak. Oh, meekness is just weakness. As if a meek person is someone who's conflict-averse and passive. Like it's a person with no backbone when things get tough. Like it's a person of, of the, uh, the fight-or-flight paradigm. It's the, the flight person. Some mistakenly even think that a lazy person or a lethargic person is meek. Or that a person who will lie to avoid uh, a tough conversation, that they're meek. Or a person who will literally do anything to kind of keep the peace, but that they're meek. But absolutely none of those things are the meekness that Jesus talks about here. Meekness is not cowardice. It's not laziness. It's not a lack of courage. The word translated in the text as meek just means gentle and humble and also, of course, meek. R.C. Sproul says this, and I found it really helpful. Meek is a quality frequently manifested by exceedingly strong people who do not use their power to crush others or lay them low. Another author, meek are those who are powerful, but they have maturity and grace to use their power for constructive purposes rather than deconstructive purposes. Look out in the world, the loud voices right now. Are they used to build things up or rip them down? there's a large part of meekness that comes into that. Everyone can talk trash from a distance and want to destroy things. That doesn't make them powerful and it doesn't make them meek. The word meek may be best understood as power under control. Proverbs 29, 11 says, a fool gives full vent to his spirit. He lets it fly, holds nothing back. A fool is one who does not control his or her power, words, actions, emotions. It's just everything, full explosion. While a meek person is one who chooses to restrain themselves, who knows how to bridle his or her power not to crush others with it, who knows how to restrain themselves, even if it's costly and it hurts, they keep their power under control. This means a meek person can have, and this is where things get hard, a meek person can have the moral high ground in the situation. They can be right. They can have the means and the ammunition to level the other person to win. And when the world says, go for it, get them, let them have it, crush them, they have the fortitude to back off or at least to hold back, to not gain power or leverage by destroying the people around them, no matter how appealing it may be. So to be meek is not to be weak, but it is to be tender and sensitive. It is to deal gently and compassionately with others instead of smashing them. It's also to be a person who's not easily provoked. What's the word? Triggered? Triggered and meekness don't go together. Sam Storm says a meek person is like wet tinder. They will not easily take fire. That means that Meekness is the antithesis of hastiness, malice, and revenge. It is the opposite of exploding and letting them have it. Hopefully we're starting to grasp what Jesus was talking about here in the text. 
But we have to ask, what does the world say about this type or this posture of meekness, specifically the, the, the people first who were just listening to the sermon? Remember, there, were, there was a Jewish crowd and a Roman crowd. That was a large part of who was around the Jewish audience hearing Jesus say, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. They hated these words. The Jews had been conquered time and time again. If you read the Old Testament, it's just over and over and over getting their lunch handed to them, going from slavery to exile to, to being beat up by nation after nation after nation. They were pros at getting conquered almost, and most recently they've been conquered by Rome. So they had their hearts set on a future king who would come and restore them, who would bring about this great military victory, who would, who would rise up in power and, and, and might and, and destroy fully anyone who would hurt them or stand against them. Their hearts were set on the world's way of gaining power through force. Somebody's gonna come for us and be stronger. He's gonna tear up everyone who's ever, who's ever messed with us. They were just holding out until they could get the power again so that they could wield it to crush their enemy, so they could wield it just like everyone else did. The idea of meekness or power through compassion and gentleness, this would have been offensive to them because they're going, everything I want is built on not receiving that type of person. I need the opposite of that. All they wanted was to be on top again to restore their former years of glory, and they had invested all their hope in this coming through blood and force. They were emotionally invested in a person coming who would not be meek, and he would not hold back would not show gentleness or compassion. So these words from Jesus would have seemed insane or impossible. They literally found meekness to be a barrier for what they wanted. It would be a hindrance to getting back their inheritance and their legacy. So they would have rejected it adamantly. Not just like, I don't know if I like that. It would have angered them. I'll add the Jewish people didn't just want a leader who wasn't meek to fight for them. It wasn't just as, as if they would look the other way about a leader's tactics if it could help them, which probably has some very clear inroads into where we're at right now. But they also had a track record of harshly coming against people themselves. Those who weren't as religious as them, what did they do? Openly shame them. To the Gentiles, they did everything they could to obliterate them. They didn't have a problem with a leader who was meek, because they weren't meek themselves. This is why they wouldn't receive Jesus very openly. Many of them are like, oh, I, want, I want somebody stronger and meaner. The Roman crowd hearing Jesus, they were dominating the world back then. The Romans had conquered pretty much everyone around. Everyone that they set eyes on, they conquered at that point. And they did it by using brutal force, mercilessly crushing their enemies. They stayed in power also by intimidating the people that they had already conquered. This is why they invented crucifixion, right? Crucifixion is not like a, a super effective cost or, or, or time-wise effective way to kill an enemy. Crucifixion is just a, it's a message. They would crucify people in public squares in this horrible, horrible means of death as a message to everyone else around. If you step out of line, I'll do that to you too. The entire Roman Empire was built on being the opposite of meek. So when Jesus said, the meek shall inherit the earth, to the Romans, the Romans would have said, oh no, they don't, we already have. In a culture built upon pride, power, and dominance, and conquest, meekness would have been rejected as pathetic. Oh, meekness doesn't get you anything here. Power does. 
Again, Jesus' words would have been off-putting to everyone who heard them. The Roman and Jewish crowd would essentially have been split between people who wanted power so they could win and people who already had power so they thought they were winning. No matter who it was, everybody wanted power and everyone laughed at the idea of meekness bringing about anything good or at least bringing about what they wanted. Now we need to inspect this beatitude at a deeper level to understand it fully though. Jesus wasn't just calling his followers um, to not use power to crush everyone. That's not all that's, that's going on here. That, of course, is part of it, but the reality of what Jesus is pointing to here was much deeper than that. Jesus is teaching about how his followers would relate to, navigate, and treat other people around them. It's bigger than do you hurt people. It's how do you treat other people and walk with them. He's pointing towards our disposition towards other people. Because of that, that means that this beatitude becomes the most difficult so far. We mentioned last week that these, these Beatitudes, they, they progressively build upon one another, meaning the, the first Beatitude is the gateway to get to the second and the third one. So if, if we are not living by the first Beatitude, being a poor in spirit, we will never be meek, the third one. They, they build. In each building block, Martin Lloyd-Jones says, becomes a little bit more difficult. Let me try and explain why this third one is, is kind of an order of magnitude more difficult than the first two, though. The opening, the opening beatitude was, blessed are the poor in spirit, which was to say the ground level of following Christ, the very first thing is to realize internally our poverty, that we have nothing of value to bring to pay for or rectify the problem of our sin. We can do nothing to gain right standing, to, to gain righteousness, to deal with our sin on our own. So in terms of spiritually, to fix what's broken in our spirit, we, we, we got nothing. We're poor. To be poor in spirit is to admit to ourselves that we cannot fix ourselves no matter how hard we try or how much good stuff we try to do. So to be poor in spirit is to see ourselves clearly Then the second beatitude is about mourning. When we see who we are, and then that leads us to see what we've done, when we behold the fact that we have sinned and we keep sinning in certain ways, that we know the thing that's right to do, and oftentimes we just can't get there. That reality, that unfiltered look of of wretched man am I will cause us to mourn. Be broken for the ways that we still don't trust Jesus now. Notice both the first two Beatitudes were internal concepts. How do I internally see myself? How do I internally see my action? But then Jesus adds, blessed are those who are meek. That changes everything. Our meekness isn't expressed internally anymore. All of a sudden, the walking out of our faith gets shifted externally to the people around us. I did not mean to do that. That was cool, though. (laughs) Can I get an effects guy? Wow, that scared me a little bit. (laughs) Oh, COVID, you've done interesting things to us. All right, back in. The shift has come from internally to external. 
meaning the gospel, the good news of Jesus spills out into the everyday life that we live. Now it's not only what do I think of myself inside myself, but what do others think of me? How do others treat me? How do they talk to me? How do I treat others? How do I talk to them? All of this comes flying into the scene when he says, blessed are the meek. That gets hard. If that doesn't make sense, let me put out a hypothetical question to try and help. Have you ever admitted something about yourself or confessed something? Like owned out loud a weakness or a sin or a fault that you have in life with other people around you. But then after you've done that, you've freely kind of confessed in front of other people something that's tough for you. Then someone else like brings it up or lovingly points out when you're struggling again or just like kind of talks about it. And then all of a sudden inside your, your mind, you're like, oh, you better shut your mouth. Right? How dare you bring up the sin that I already brought up? Or maybe you do this. This is what I do. Oh, yeah? Mr. Prideful, let's talk about your weakness, buddy. I do that. And goofy issues and serious issues. Right? We joke around a little bit. Like, for instance, I call myself husky way often, way more often than I should. But if you call me husky, I will not feel very meek inside. I will rush to Andy's, cry, get an Ozark turtle, and then figure out how to get revenge. Joking aside, we have this ability to face our weakness personally sometimes, to in humility recognize and acknowledge our true self in our own hearts, but when that same type of humility needs to be extended to others, when we need to appear lowly and humble, not just in our own heart, but in front of other people, especially if those people we don't like or respect very much. We, turn, we, we tend to resent it. We tend to get frustrated and angry. Whether you keep it inside or you let it out, we don't like it very much. This is surely a core issue with being meek. When we allow not only ourselves to shine a light upon the weakness that we have, but also allow others to see our weakness or navigate our weakness around us, things get difficult. We have to learn to be humble enough to let our weakness be out with others without going nuclear, without deflecting it without writing other people out of our lives. Since meekness spills into how we relate to others, it does so in negative senses as, as well, right? It's not just, are we teachable and do we allow brothers and sisters to confront our sin? But it's also, how do we react when others treat us poorly? When they lie about us? When they try and hurt us? See, meekness is fleshed out in how we react to people even when we are right or we have been done wrong. This is where it gets hard. It's fleshed out when we engage with those who believe the opposite of us. It's fleshed out when we engage with the other side of the political aisle. It's fleshed out with how we treat our spouse or a family member who does us wrong and we are definitely in the right. See, meekness is a difficult one because the world screams, win, finish them. You've got it. You've got the high ground. Take it. 
And the gospel of grace whispers into your ear, but Jesus didn't do that. The same you who had nothing to offer him spiritually. The same you who can't clean yourself up no matter how hard you try. The same you who was in the wrong while Jesus was in the right. Jesus engaged with you by restraining his power, not unloading all of it. This is true strength. This is true love. This is compassion lived out. This is meekness in its truest form, shown first by Christ. And now he asks for that same meekness to be what his people show the world. Remember, at the end of the Beatitudes, there's salt and light, those texts. Why? People see when you're actually meek. This means to be meek is to lay down your weapons sometimes. I'd say tangibly and metaphorically. It's to lay down our need to be right or our need to defend our beliefs. It's to lay down the need to put together, to be put together at all costs, even if it means crushing someone. It is to turn the other cheek instead of angrily raising a fist all the time. Whether it's in the online world or in the actual world or just in your own mind, it's to lay down our preference sometimes as well and be okay with it. Friends, we have to see how this message of meekness is lost all around us in the world. Right now, the mantra is get yours. Do not let anyone step on you. Don't appear wrong. Don't appear weak. Don't give an inch. Get the other side. Before they get you, get loud, get angry, get puffed up, protect yourself. Don't tread on me. It's a dog-eat-dog world, so you better, you better get them. Be right. While Jesus said to his disciples, no one takes my life from me, but I will gladly lay it down. See, the king of kings showed us true strength. He wasn't conquered. He let himself be taken. True strength was shown by Christ by consciously not always looking to unleash on people or get what you think you deserve. And in this beatitude, in a million different ways, for all who say they follow Jesus, Jesus says, you have to follow me in this, though. That's where it gets hard. If you hear those words and you're like, man, I'm an Enneagram number eight, what do I do with this? So am I. Is Jesus asking me to be a pushover? Is he asking me to never fight, to, to never get angry, to never like, get after people when they're wrong? I would answer this question with a possibly confusing yes and no. Jesus himself tied together a whip, ran into a temple yelling, flipped over tables, red faced saying, this is my father's house. I'd say in that moment he wasn't docile or weak-willed. So please don't hear meekness as a call to mute all things. Jesus would get angry, but most often his anger didn't really stem from him feeling that he was mistreated. It was about other people being marginalized. Especially if the people being hurt were being hurt by people who claimed to be Christian, that definitely got under his skin. So no, I, I don't think this, this beatitude is a call to never get angry, but 
It's a hard one for me. It is 100% a call to get angry a whole, whole, whole lot less. To stand up for yourself less. To be okay with not always winning or coming out on top. To be okay and still be able to sleep when you get the short end of the stick. Why? Because you know even if you miss out on things that you think that you deserve, even if things you feel like are owed to you or missed out upon, you know through the gospel you've already been given far more than you deserve already. And that you truly will inherit the earth when Christ one day wipes away every tear and puts the earth back together. What does that mean? He's not lying when he says you inherit the earth. It's just a delayed inheritance. You get it all. There's going to be some pain early, though. Man, this, this beatitude is extremely hard because our flesh will fight it every step of the way. And let me just be clear. This is not just a, a, an Enneagram 8 thing, a, a, a combative thing. You can internalize things and not be meek, and you can never say a word, but inside your mind you can rage. That doesn't mean that you're meek because you don't say it to other people. I've had this, and I think you probably have too, more times than I would like to admit that I have felt wronged, that I felt lied about, misrepresented, used, treated wrongly, where I knew in a hard situation that I was right and I'd been wronged, where every fiber of my being screamed vindication. This is not okay. Give me justice. Flesh screaming, I deserve better. I deserve to get them back. I deserve to take back power. I deserve to set the story right. I deserve, I deserve. That trend's not a good one. And in those moments are where the gospel has to be truly applied. Again, this is the hard part. To walk out faith in word and deed. To walk it out in situations I mentioned a second ago means that we have to become experts at being the pastors of our own heart. What does that mean? You have to learn to preach the gospel to yourself. The gospel says that I deserve nothing, that justice would have been wrath. So maybe I shouldn't cry out for justice nearly as much. The gospel says that Christ is my righteousness what does that mean? So I don't have to vindicate myself all the time. The gospel says that I am accepted. So I don't need to fix the lies out there to feel like other people can accept me. The gospel says I am loved. So if other people don't think well of me, it doesn't matter. The gospel says, I am a child of God, and that can't be taken away no matter what. See, in the kingdom of heaven, Jesus is showing us how we treat others matters. And the grace of mercy from Jesus that we receive when it's truly experienced, the king does this work where we have to learn to then extend it to other people. Without preaching the gospel to yourself, you'll never do it, though. Neither will I. This is why this beatitude is an order of magnitude more difficult than the others because it extends to places that press heavily into our sense of entitlement or justice. 
There will be tearful moments and hard nights and hard situations where the grace of Christ will have to be what holds you together because you won't fix the thing out there that you want. And here's the message, though. Even when that happens, you'll inherit the earth one day. As the world says happiness and flourishing come from standing up for yourself, Christ today says happiness and flourishing come from laying down the need to fight, to always be right, by choosing to love other people instead of wounding them. Guys, this idea before we lash out, if we realize there's a human being who's probably hurt on the other side, how much would we slow down? I know that this concept of meekness is a difficult one in some ways, especially in light of how loud our culture is right now. We feel almost crazy if we don't play along. But here we pray, hear the call to meekness not as a burden but a gift, though. As a gift to experience deeper joy in Jesus in our own lives. How? As we apply Jesus' kindness and grace to our own hearts and begin to extend it. Though the world believes that we get more by stepping on others, by playing in the power structure around us, Jesus is telling our hearts you can get off the cycle of outrage. You can get away from the need of protecting yourself. And you might be surprised when you do that you actually don't suffer any loss. You may actually be happier there. You don't always have to be anxiety or filled with anxiety of the things that you need to fix and the people that you need to set right and the things that you need to do. You can just let the grace of mercy of Jesus be what reigns and let some of the other stuff go. And again, his message is this, and when you do, you'll have a happiness that the world does not have and a flourishing that they cannot get, no matter how much they lash out on the people around them. As we close today, this is just kind of the thing I... I pray that we'd all ask the Holy Spirit to let us see our hearts clearly. Holy Spirit, let us see how we're doing with meekness. How we're relating to the other human beings around us. How we're using our voice. What kind of tone and tenor and expression we use with the people who are actually physically around us. And then if you're stuck in the online world, what kind of tone and tenor you use there as well. The question we need to ask the Holy Spirit is, are we learning to see Christ's grace and apply it well? And if we are not, then we just humbly ask, will you help us with this? Will you help me get off the cycle of anger? If you see that you've been struggling here, understand that you cannot work hard on your own without the Spirit to get better here. The beautiful news of the Holy Spirit is there to help you. Why? Because he shows you Jesus and what Jesus has done for you more, which is the only thing that will tame and quench the need to fight. As we worship today and take communion, say this would be a great time. Just remember, Jesus, your body and blood have been given more. Help me preach the gospel to myself. Help me to see and apply and know that you've been good in order to diffuse the situations that I walk into. I pray that the table would be a time of peace for you and strengthening. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 26, where I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That practice of preaching to yourself even happens in communion. You have died. You have given me all that I have. Help remind me of that and help me walk out into the world with that truth. Father, thank you for today. I pray that you'd be with us. Do work in our hearts. There's not one of us that do not need you to work in our meekness. God, would you help us to be a people who apply your truth over our lives, who walk differently. We don't fall into pride over it, Lord, but that the gospel would be seen by your people living out your kingdom where they're at. We pray for that. Help us. Holy Spirit, if there are people that we have overly, overly gone against, I pray that you would even give us conviction of ones that we need to go right relationships and set right, but I pray that you create in us a people of meekness, humility, and gentleness, and compassion, Lord. Thank you for your goodness and mercy. Thank you for your patience. We love you. Be glorified in what we're doing here today.